and the chapter 6. First Corinthians and the chapter six. And we'll commence reading at the end of the chapter at verse nineteen and twenty, then leading into First Corinthians chapter seven. Apostle Paul is speaking to the church of God there in Corinth, and he asks this question What? Know ye that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And then in verses 3 to 6, Paul deals with the husband-wife relationship. Let me pick up the reading at verse 7. Paul continues, For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest be guy, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And no one which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I, in all churches. And then, in verses 18 and following, Paul used an illustration regarding circumcision and uncircumcision to explain what he means about remaining in the condition that you are. And then, Paul says in verse 24, Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now, concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. And by the way, that phrase, no commandment of the Lord, is the idea that whenever Christ was on this earth, he didn't give this commandment explicitly with his own words. But yet Paul here is inspired by the Spirit of God. So this is still a divine word. Verse 25, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that had obtained mercy of the Lord to the faithful. I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. 
Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Amen. We'll end reading there at verse 35. Let's just again bow briefly in prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy living word. We thank thee, Father, that it is inspired by thee, Father, every letter is inspired by thee. And thou hast preserved it down through the generations. We praise and thank thee for this. And we ask thee, Lord, that it would be pleased to speak to us now through thy word. Thou hast told us in Paul's letter to Timothy that has been given by thee for our instruction that we would profit from it unto every good work. Be edified. Lord, let it be. Sanctify us through thy word today. Thy truth the glory of Christ. Make us here thy people to be what you want us to be, those that are single, those that are married. Lord, make us all to be what you want us to be. And Father, those that are lost, draw them to Christ. Let them see what he did for them and draw them to Christ in faith and repentance. Do a work that will last for eternity this very day. We'll go out rejoicing. God has met with us. We don't deserve it, Lord, but the merits of Christ, so let it be for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. Over the past couple of weeks, I heard it mentioned that the subject of singleness is often neglected. And while we have been looking at the subject of marriage and looking at the role of the husband and indeed the role of the wife, and indeed looking at more briefly even a family worship, yet the subject of singleness is indeed a subject that is often neglected whenever it comes to preaching. I will confess and say that I've never preached explicitly on the subject of singleness in my seven years of ministry. However, Upon doing this series, the Lord has laid upon my heart to speak about this particular subject today. I had thought that with a number of families going away on holidays over the summertime, it might be best to, to postpone this series until the new term in September, October time. But yet the Lord's laid this upon my heart to deal with this day. And I pray therefore that it will be relevant to every single one of us, looking at the subject of singleness. Now, before you perhaps switch off and think, well, I'm married, I'm not single, this has got nothing to do with me, I want you to note a number of things. The first is this. The subject of singleness is important to God. God's Word speaks about it in multiple places. We shall see later on today. And so if the subject is important to God, then the subject ought to be important to every single person. The second thing to note is that singleness is very common. The British Office of National Statistics conducted research in 2019, and it showed that 35% of adults 
in the United Kingdom are single, with the number of people living alone increasing by 20% over the last 20 years. Furthermore, 8% of adults in the United Kingdom are divorced for one reason or another, resulting in 2.9 million single parent families, and also 7% of United Kingdom adults are widowed. That means that almost 50% of all adults in the United Kingdom are single. That is, they're not in a marriage relationship. Because the definition of singleness, while it's often thought of those who have never been married, you can also refer to those who have been married, but are now widowed or divorced. Singleness is very common, equally as common as marriage. Therefore, surely it's right that if we deal with marriage and deal with husbands and wives, it's right that we deal with singleness. Especially whenever, not merely that it's important to the Lord, that's the primary reason, but also because half of the people in this country are single as adults. There's a third reason why we should deal with the subject, and that is that singleness was a significant part of the life of Christ. You may never have thought about the Lord Jesus, our Savior, in that way, but he lived a single life. Jesus Christ never married. And whenever we will see in a moment or two regarding some of the challenges of the single life, yet you and I can see some of the challenges that Christ would have faced. And it gives us, therefore, a glimpse into Christ. He who was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. Gives us a further understanding of our Savior. Another reason is that singles need to be prayed for in this church. Just as husbands and wives need to be prayed for, and I've encouraged you to pray for husbands and wives, yet singles also need to be prayed for. Not only do they have challenges that they face, but they'll also have their own temptations. We need to pray that God will give those that are single grace and strength for the calling that they are presently in. The Lord will give them grace to be faithful to that calling that the Lord has laid upon them. And so if we are to pray effectively as a church, if we are to pray compassionately and pray biblically, we all need to listen to the message this morning. So I hope that you haven't switched off, and I pray that you will not switch off as we look at the subject today. The first point I want us to notice is this, that singleness is chosen. Singleness is chosen. If you turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, keeping a a bookmark or something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Matthew's Gospel and the chapter 19. In this passage, and in this chapter, Jesus Christ is on his way to Jerusalem, where he'll give his life as a ransom for the many. And the Pharisees come up to Christ, and they bring to Christ the subject of marriage and divorce. And in verses 3 to 9 of this chapter, Jesus Christ deals with the Jewish culture's abuse of marriage, and how men were putting away their wives for almost any and every reason. Christ reminded the Pharisees of the truth in verse 6, that what God had joined together, let not man put asunder. When the disciples heard that being brought up, of course, in the Jewish culture, the disciples themselves being Jews, they began to think, well then, is it best not to marry at all? And Jesus Christ then speaks to his disciples in verses 11 and 12. Jesus Christ said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save them to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, 
And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. That's referring to marriage, and also it's referring to singleness. He that is able to receive such, let him receive such. But the purpose of reading this passage this morning is to highlight to you that singleness is chosen. Singleness is either chosen for a person by the providence of God. For example, at the beginning of verse 12, Christ, he declares that some have been made eunuchs from their mother's womb. That is, without the ability of that intimate aspect of the marriage relationship, the providence of God has chosen the single life for them. But while the providence of God has chosen singleness for some, the wickedness of man has chosen singleness for others. Because in the middle of verse 12, Christ said that some have been made eunuchs forcibly by men. Wicked kings, for example, in the first century and ancient context. But then, of course, there is a third way of choosing singleness. And that is that a person chooses singleness for themselves. At the end of verse 12, Christ spoke about those who, quote, have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, while these words have, of course, a literal context and meaning, yet I believe the principles that I've just highlighted to you can be widened. For example, the wickedness of man may have chosen singleness in the historic context there in the ancient culture regarding a king who would take a man and he wanted him to rule over his harem, as it were, his many wives, and so made him a eunuch forcibly in a wicked way so that the man, as the manager of the ladies, would not be tempted. But yet, even today, the wickedness of man may have chosen singleness for people. For example, maybe you are someone here today and you have been married. But due to the wickedness of a person, due to the wickedness of a spouse, they've abandoned you, they've left you, they've committed adultery and they've no desire to be with you, and they've the desire to divorce you. And so you've been made single by the wickedness of man. The providence of God may have also made you single today. Either you have not yet married, not yet seen a person and led by God to a person that's suitable for you, or indeed, perhaps, the providence of God has taken the person that you were married away from you through death. Singleness is not always a person's individual choice. It can be brought upon a person. Singleness can be forced upon a person by the providence of God, by the wickedness of man. And therefore, it's important for you and I today that we bear that in mind, that we have compassion toward those who are single. Unfortunately, some people can make very insensitive comments to those that are single, and we need to be on our guard regarding them. Singleness is chosen, either by the providence of God, either by the wickedness of man, or indeed chosen by a person themselves. But singleness is chosen. Notice with me, second of all, that singleness has challenges. Just as being a husband or wife has challenges, so does being single. For example, there is the challenge of missing out. For those younger and older, seeing friends who are getting married or indeed still have their spouse if your spouse has been lost through death, and seeing the fun that they have and the experiences that they're enjoying, it is possible for you to fear that you're missing out, that God is withholding blessings from you, benefits from you. And that is a challenge that you could be tempted to bitterness. 
God, why are you not giving me these things? My friends are enjoying this. My younger friends, the older people are enjoying it. I'm not enjoying it. The challenge of missing out and the challenge of bitterness. There's also the challenge of loneliness. Husbands and wives can be close. Indeed, they ought to be close. Uh, sharing a relationship that in many ways cannot be matched with others. And yet those who are single do not have that special person with whom they're able to enjoy such closeness. And as a result, some singles, not all, but some can feel alone. They can feel isolated. They can feel forgotten about. They can feel second rate. Why have I not been picked? Why have I not been chosen? There's also another challenge, the challenge of fear, of growing old with no one to care for them. I know of a godly lady, not in this congregation, but of another congregation. She never married. She never had a spouse. She, she never had any children. She also had no sisters and no brothers. And her parents have long since died. And she wondered for many years who would look after her whenever she died. Or indeed, whenever she grew old. Who's going to be there for her? Who's going to comfort her? Who's going to encourage her? Who's going to visit her? The challenge of fear. Growing old with no one there to care for. There's also the challenge of failure. Now, people who never get married can wonder if there's something in them that people do not like. If there's something they've done, something that they are, people just don't like and therefore they're not choosing you. Or indeed those who have been married and the fact that they have lost their loved one through death or indeed through divorce, they can begin to think, was it because I was not faithful that God took my spouse away in one sense or another? My marriage ended. Of course, this is likely not to be the case at all. But it does not stop the devil sowing seeds of doubt and deception to hinder people from going on with God, seeing the love of God to them. Of course, there is a challenge of temptation. If you look at me, please, at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Paul speaks here about people who burn. That is, they cannot contain, they have a longing. The picture is actually here of someone who's on fire, a fire that cannot be controlled. And so it speaks about those who have a desire for marriage, they have a longing for a spouse, but they're not able to fulfill that longing for one reason or other. Perhaps God has not provided one that's suitable, a spouse that's suitable for them. And as a result, it's very tempting to turn to sins, very tempting to bring some temporary relief of that burning through immorality. There is that temptation to rebel against God's command, to wait on Him, to wait on His timing, and to go ahead, pursue a wrong relationship, an immoral relationship, a foolish relationship, just marry anybody. The challenge of temptation. So I trust that you can see today that there are many challenges faced by singles. Not everybody will face these, but they are challenges faced by many. I hope you're seeing today, all of us, that everybody in this congregation, we can pray for singles as they face these challenges. But what are we to pray for? What is the response? And if you're a single today, what is your response to these things? Let me give you a number of responses. First and foremost, there ought to be submission and not rebellion. Whenever Jesus Christ was on this earth, he said to his Father, Not my will, but thine be done. And that ought to be our prayer at all times. 
Lord, not my will, but thine be done. The Apostle Paul was one upon seeing for the very first time the glimpse of Christ as Lord, the one in glory who loved him and died on the cross for him and rose again to pray for him, the one he drew him to himself. Paul's very first glimpse of that on the Damascus Road, Paul immediately cried out, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Immediately he surrendered himself to the Lord in light of the Lord's love to him. He did not fight God's will. He accepted God's will. And that ought to be the case for every one of us. Submission, not rebellion. I think it's very important to understand that this subject of singleness as it's dealt with in 1 Corinthians 7 follows on from chapter 6. Because if you look at me at verses 19 and 20, Paul said, What know ye not? that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our lives are not our own. God is the one who created us. He's the one who gives us breath in our lungs. So even in creation, we belong to the God, but also doubly so in salvation, we belong to God. He is the one who's redeemed us, the picture there of a slave market. We were slaves to sin, slaves to the devil, slaves on our way to eternal death and hell. But Christ came and he paid the price for us. He shed his blood. He suffered on our behalf. And he brought us unto himself. And in thankfulness, not merely for the fact that we're God's creation, but the fact that we're God's new creation. We are saved in Christ because of what Christ did at Calvary. We must submit to the Lord, Lord, I belong to you, and all that I have belongs to you. Submission, not rebellion. That's how you respond to these challenges. Trust, not worry. As I've mentioned, people can have many fears about the future. Now, how can I get through this? How can I get through the temptations? How can I get through the struggles? Who's going to care for me? Who's going to be there for me? Am I going to be alone? Will I be forgotten about? We need to trust, not worry. Trust our Heavenly Father. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus Christ speaks about the many needs that people have. Needs of food, needs of clothing, needs of shelter, and all of that. But regarding all our needs, Christ said, quote, to his disciples, your Heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Your Heavenly Father knoweth. Psalm 23 verse 1, the promise is given. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The very end of the psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Another response is friendship, not loneliness. Again, I'm not saying this is true of every single. Of course I'm not. But yet some can withdraw from friendship. They think, well, if I'm not going to get married, what's the point of going out and meeting people? Rather to stay at home. Rather just be isolated. Jesus Christ was a single man. Single man for 33 years. But Jesus Christ was a sociable man. Even in his singleness, Christ went out. He made 12 friends, known as the 12 disciples. And he made the friends with many others as well. Christ had a heart of compassion. He was a sociable man. He had many friends, many whom he loved. And who loved him. And so I encourage you, one response to singleness is friendship, not loneliness. Also, another response is holiness, not wickedness. I've talked about the temptation to fall into sin. 
If there is a burning and yet God has not yet provided you a means wherewith you can satisfy that burning, yet again, think of Christ. Christ was a perfect man. He was a real man. And yet Christ, while he was tempted in all points, like as you and I were and are, yet Jesus Christ was without sin. Without sin in thought, without sin in deed, without sin in desire. Christ was perfect. Oh, not only because of the divine nature, because of the Spirit of God that helped him. And so the Spirit of God is able to help singles today. And that is thankfulness, not bitterness. Singleness may or may not be what you choose for yourself. Maybe it is indeed what the providence of God has chosen for you. Maybe it's indeed what the wickedness of man has chosen for you. But there are worse things than being single. Even coming down the road thinking about this particular point, I couldn't help but think about John Wesley, that great servant of the Lord. He married a woman in haste, and marrying her, history would declare that she was very wicked towards him, abused him, hurt him, neglected him, many other things. I'm not too sure whether it's true or not, but some have said that whenever she died, he rejoiced. That's a very sad thing, of course, to say. But yet, I mention it to make the point that it would be better to be single than to marry someone you better not marry. Someone who would neglect you, someone who would despise you, someone who would hurt you. Being single is not the worst thing. And so be thankful for the providence of God that if he's kept you from being in a married relationship, the Lord has a reason for it. The Lord is loving. The Lord is good. Thankfulness, not bitterness. Singleness is chosen. That's the first point. The second point, singleness has challenges. And so therefore, singles, you think about these responses. You pray for grace, that you'll respond in these ways. But also, dear Church of God, let us pray for those that are single, that they will respond in these ways. Notice with me the third point this morning, that singleness is categorized. Turn me please to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 again. And the verse 7, the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says in verse 7, For I would that all men were even as I myself. And Paul was a single man. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Scripture speaks of those things that are a curse. And Scripture also speaks, speaks of those things that are a blessing. Often people think of singleness as a curse. They can't wait to get out of singleness. But yet Scripture speaks of singleness as a blessing. In fact, in verse 7, it speaks of singleness with the terminology of a gift. A gift. A gift that's given in goodness and in kindness and in love. And therefore, notice with me a number of points regarding how, sin, how singleness is categorized here. It's categorized as a gift for a number of ways. Notice with me, first and foremost, that singleness has purpose. Singleness has purpose. See, God can use singleness for a variety of way and re of reasons. One of these is that God can use singleness to purify you. Again, this is not true of every person that's single, but yet some who are single can idolize marriage. It can be their gods. 
whether they have not yet been married or whether they have been married and yet now are single. And they may say, I'll never have joy unless I'm married. I'll never have contentment unless I'm married. I'll never have happiness unless I'm married. I'll never be glad unless I'm married. And they've made an idol out of marriage. See, Christ may have you in a single state to help you see that your joy, your happiness, your contentment is not found in marriage, but found in Him. In Exodus chapter 20, in the first commandment, we are told these words, where God commands, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And of course, a God is the one whom you put first, but a God is so much more than that. The reason you put the God first is because you revere them, but also because you love them, you delight in them. That's your joy. That's why we read about these gods of delight and gods of pleasure and gods of self. You put yourself first because you love yourself. You delight in the sin. But God says that he is to be our God. Oh, yes, we're to follow him. We're to put him first. But we're to do so because we love him. We delight in him. He is our joy. He is our contentment. He is our love. God is to be our God. And if there's someone that's idolizing marriage, Perhaps God has you in a single state to remind you that God is your joy and your delight. Some people, I'm thinking particularly of those that are younger, but they can hop from one church meeting to the next and go from one youth rally to the next. And the reason for going is not to hear the word of God. The reason perhaps is that they simply want just to find a spouse. And don't get me wrong here, it's good to look for a spouse. We find in the book of Proverbs, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. So there is a need for a seeking and a searching. But yet, while a youth rally or indeed something similar can be a good place to find a person, a suitable spouse, yet the point I want to make here is if that's your only aim, I imagine it's not for many, but I just want to make the point, if it is your primary desire and your primary aim, or indeed your only aim, and you go to a church service for these things rather than wanting to see Christ, rather than wanting to hear a word from him, rather than wanting to praise his name with the people of God, then there is something wrong. And perhaps God is keeping you from a suitable spouse and keeping you in a single state to remind you that your joy, your delight, your love ought to be Christ. God does not send a trial. If you find singleness as a trial, God does not send a trial for no reason. He does it for our good. Singleness is described as a gift, a good thing, a blessing. You see, men and women, our relationship with Jesus Christ is the one that really matters above everything else. You and I should be able to say as believers, thinking how Christ has redeemed us, paid the debt with his own precious blood, and redeemed us and delivered us from that slave market of sin and from hell. You and I should be able to say, like Solomon did, this is my beloved, and this is my friend. You should be able to say, like Solomon, that he is the fairest of 10,002, our soul. We should be able to say, like the Apostle Paul, that no matter what state I am, Therewith I will be content because I have Christ. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying that's the way our heart ought to be. And for it not to be like that is a sin. And so, dear congregation, let us pray for those that are single that will have such a heart, if they have not already, of course. 
And dear single person this morning, you pray for such as well that Christ will always be. I'm not saying that Christ is not at the minute, but just pray that Christ will always be that chief relationship that you have. Perhaps there are some here that are longing for a spouse. One minister gave this advice, and I thought it was very good. Run after Christ with all that you are, with all that you have. Run after Christ. Make him your chief goal. Make him your chief aim. And perhaps one day as you're running along after Christ, perhaps you'll see, just as you look to the side, perhaps you'll find somebody running on the same path as you, running after Christ. And that person will be a suitable spouse. Not merely to gain Christ, but you've then gained that suitable spouse. But if you're running after Christ and you never have that suitable spouse beside you, or indeed they don't go with you, you still have Christ. You still have him. And you've not wasted your time. You've not wasted your life. You've got Christ. You've got closer to him. Run after Christ. Seek first his kingdom. And all the other things that you need will be added unto you. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not be in want. And his goodness and mercy will always follow us. All the days of our lives as the people of God. And also remember that marriage on this earth is but temporary. You see, marriage on this earth is but a picture of the great marriage of Christ and his church and earth whenever it comes to the end of time. Those who are married on this earth and those that are not married on this earth, there will be no marriage in heaven apart from the marriage we have with Christ. You see, that's the end goal, to be married to Christ, to belong to him now and then to attend that marriage supper of the Lamb. In fact, if you want to turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 19. Again, Matthew chapter 19. Having dealt with singleness there in verses 11 and 12, and verse 29, the end of the same chapter, the same context, the same people, we find that Christ said, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, the same can put in there, or husband, or children, you've given up these things for the law. You've been content in the state that God's given you. For lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Oh, men, women, and young people see today that singleness it's not the end. You can use your time for the Lord. And as you live in that content life for the Lord, you'll receive a hundredfold whenever it comes to eternal blessing. Perhaps you say, but preacher, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. Well, again, you think about Christ. You think about him who lived for 33 years in this earth. Christ had a greater heart of love than any of us has ever had. Christ had a greater love and compassion towards people than you and I have ever had. He loved people. He loved being with people. In fact, whenever he wasn't praying to his father on a mountaintop or somewhere alone in the garden, Christ was with people. We don't find Christ ever isolated and alone. He was always with people because he loved people. And Christ was one who suffered then at the end of his life forsakenness, betrayal, loneliness, solitariness, he plumbed the depths of it more than anybody. Everybody forsook him. 
He knows what it is to suffer. And yet he endured it all. So that you and I could be saved and brought into a relationship with him. And brought to that marriage supper of the Lamb. And so you again be encouraged. A Christ who was able to endure by the Spirit of God. So he's able to help you to endure by the Spirit of God. God is your joy. God is your delight. Doesn't take away the pain that you will have, perhaps, of having lost someone. Not saying that in the slightest. But God is still your joy. God is still your contentment. And God is still your delight. You're a child of God. A purpose of singleness is indeed to purify, to get our minds afresh in the Lord and who He is to us. Another purpose of singleness is also to free us and to use us. You look at me again at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 7 to 8, Paul said, For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them to abide even as I. If you look at me then at verse 27 of the same chapter, Paul asks, Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Then he asks, Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. And this, then verse 32, But I would have you without carefulness, without anxiety, without care, without worry, without distraction. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman care for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Sometimes people who are single can think, they can hear about the blessing of marriage, of what it is to have children by the grace of God. Not, of course, every married person has children, but if they have children that well, they can raise up arrows by the grace of God that will be used in the service of God. Or indeed, if they never have children, but yet even as a husband and wife, they can be that picture of, of Christ in the church to those whom they meet. They can have blessings and benefits that singles do not have. As a result, some singles can think, well, I can't be used of God as much as others can. But yet, what you and I see here is that Paul speaks about it even being good to abide in a single state. And the reasons that he gives are numerous. One is the idea of availability, and the other is the idea of flexibility. But while, of course, in a marriage, that's, there is responsibilities, there is commitments, and if God blessed with children, there's more responsibilities and more commitments and more time taken up, and that's a good thing and that's a right thing. But yet, in a single state, there's not the same. It's not the same amount of commitments, not the same amount of responsibility. Now, of course, I want to make it clear that being single does not mean that you have all the time in the world to yourself, not in the slightest. Single people can be very busy people. In fact, whenever a husband and wife, they share their chores, well, indeed, a single person doesn't necessarily have some to share the chores with, whether it be the ironing or the meal making or the shopping or the financial management or the working in the garden or the dishes, whatever it may be. They have to do it all by themselves. I'm not saying that single people don't, aren't busy. No, don't get me wrong. But there is often a greater availability and a greater flexibility whenever it comes to the service of God. 
You think about some of the single people in Scripture. You think about the Apostle Paul. He's the context here, 1 Corinthians 7. He said in verse 8, It is good for them if they abide even as I. The Apostle Paul was one who is known as the greatest missionary that ever existed. He's one who traveled into many countries serving the Lord. He traveled, we're told, by scholars 10,000 miles by foot. He could not have done all that he did if he was married and if he had children that had to be taken along with him. He could just not have done it. He had a greater availability and a greater flexibility than others would have had if they were married. We don't read of Peter doing the same, for example, and Peter had a wife. You also think about Mary and Martha. You even think about also Lazarus there in their home. The understanding would be from Scripture that all three were single, and yet they were able to use their singleness and use their time to serve the Lord, to serve the disciples on many occasions, as Christ was often happened to come to their house. Serving not only Christ, but all of his servants, and all of his twelve apostles, and all that followed. You didn't get Jeremiah. Jeremiah in the Scriptures, one of the most godly prophets, and yet he was a single man. God called him not to marry. God called him not to his sons and daughters. God used Jeremiah. You think of Daniel. The Scripture would indicate that Daniel was a single man. You think of all he accomplished in government and all the work that he'd done and all the time it would have taken, all the commitment that it took, but yet he'd done it for the Lord and it was used for the Lord to bring revival. Greater availability, greater flexibility in the service of God. Even in church history, you could think of the likes of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a single man. He never married. And yet he preached, we're estimated, to around 10 million people. Even in America, in just one year alone, he traveled 5,000 miles. He preached 350 times. There's no way he could have done that if he was married. If he was to be faithful to his wife, and if he had children too. You can think about Richard Sibbs, the 17th century Puritan, described as the pastor among all pastors. He was able to befriend more people in a single state than what he would have been able to do if he was married. Able to visit more people. Able to be that better pastor. And of course, you think about Christ himself. Christ was single. In Acts 10, we read he went about doing good. He gave himself to people. He loved people. He held children in his arms. You think about how much Christ did. He'd done it as a single man. You see, singleness. I want you to see it that it's purposeful. It's a gift from God, whether it's temporary, whether maybe one day you will be married, or married again, whether you'll not, but see singleness as what it is in Scripture. It's a gift. Not for yourself, but the service of the Lord. Whenever it comes to friendships, it has been said that Whenever it comes, for example, to marriage, it's difficult to establish very close relationships outside of that marriage. You have responsibility with your spouse, but of course, then it's more difficult to enjoy relationships with others, even of the opposite gender with others, because, well, you have to be careful, and rightly so. But yet someone who's single can spend more time with building relationships, developing relationships, deepening relationships encourage people in the Lord and be a friend there to them. And of course, you may say, well, I can't have children. If I'm not married, then I can't raise up arrows to the Lord in service. But yet you can be a mother in Israel. You can be a father in Israel. Whether it be through the Sunday school, the children's meeting, your fellowship, 
whether it be simply being an encouragement to those in the church, praying for them. You can be a mother or a father in Israel, spiritually speaking. Remember that salvation, while God often works through families, remember that salvation does not come by reproduction, it comes by regeneration, by the Spirit of God working. You see, we are noticing today that singleness is purposeful. It's a gift from God. Notice also not merely the, the purpose of singleness, but also notice with me the perfection of singleness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul said in verse 7, For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried, and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Then in verse 17, he, we read, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. As the Lord hath called. Can I ask you, can God ever make an imperfect calling? Can God ever call you to something that is not perfect and right in his sight? The answer is no. The psalmist tells in Psalm 18, as for God, his way is perfect. God is the one in his providence who's sovereign over all. And while again I mention that if there is pain in the losing of a spouse, that pain is right, that grieving is right, that mourning is right. Yet see that God in his perfect sovereign wisdom had providentially allowed this to happen. And that his will for you at the moment in the single state is right and it's perfect. God does not make mistakes. God does not flawed in his thinking, in his plans, in his desires, in his actions. God never gets it wrong. As for God, his way is perfect. The term perfect there in Psalm 18 is the idea of sound, healthy, right. The hymn writer said in hymn 452, Thy way, not mine, O Lord, however dark it be, O lead me by thine own right hand, choose out the path for me. Smooth that it be or rough, it will be still the best. Winding or straight, it matters not, it leads me to thy rest. I dare not choose my lot, I would not if I might. But choose thou for me, O my God, so shall I walk aright. Not mine, not mine the choice, in things or great or small. Be thou my guide, my guard, my strength, my wisdom and my all. The perfection of singleness. The purpose of singleness. But notice also with me the position of singleness. If you look at me please again to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. While we've already read several times in verse 7 that God describes it as a gift. Yet look with me please at verse 17. As God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. You see, Paul here in this passage, he speaks about two different types of people. He speaks about those that burn and those that don't burn. Those that are longing for relationship. Paul says that if you're able to remain single, he says it's good. It's good if you abide even as I am. 
good if you remain in the single state. Because the availability, the flexibility it gives you to serve the Lord. But if you burn and you long and you can't remain single, well, Paul says it's better then to marry. It's better to marry than to burn. And therefore, we see that the position of singleness compared to marriage, one's not inferior and the other superior. One's not the other way around either. They're equal. They're equal. One's not more holy than the other. Both states are equal. As God has called you, so let you walk. The position of singleness. It's just as holy as marriage, if that's what God's called you to do. And the question ever comes to everybody that is single. And that is, can you remain single? Whenever I have spoken before to young people at a youth fellowship who go and are looking for a spouse, the first question in the first stage of ever looking for a spouse is this, can you remain single? If God has given you that gift, then you should use that gift. Use it for the Lord. Singleness is not for self, it's for the Lord. Marriage, by the way, should not be for the self either, it should be for the Lord. That in the marriage you can use that marriage for the glory of God, the advancement of his work. The first stage is this, can you remain single? You see, being content is right. Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Being content takes effort. Paul said, I have learned it. He didn't just get it. He wasn't just given it. No, he had to learn it. He had to develop it. It didn't come naturally. But by the Spirit of God, he was given it. And he learned it. But remember, God never gives bad gifts. He never gives a wrong gift. If you're in a state of singleness, see God's hand. Whether it's temporary or whether it's permanent, see it as God's loving, caring hand. May I just finish then today by looking at the provision for singleness. Where God gives a gift, where God gives a calling, God will provide the grace. You see, it's interesting to these same people to those in Corinth, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, the immediate context was regarding suffering, but yet that suffering can be applied as a principle to lots of different situations. My grace is sufficient for thee. Bill Woods, Dr. Bill Woods, missionary to Brazil, served the Lord wonderfully, and is still serving the Lord today even through prayer while he's yet here in Northern Ireland. But he often is quoted as saying, where God's finger points, God's hand will lead the way. Another minister said that where God gives a calling, God will give an enabling. And you look to him for it. The provision for singleness. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, we read, Faithful is he that calleth you. He also will do it. And so as I finish this morning, looking at the subject of singleness. By the grace of God, another subject I want to look at is regarding then looking for a spouse, and I believe that will be very relevant to those that are looking to one, but also then to parents, even as you seek to guide children in it. Questions can often arise. What type of person should a young person be looking for? When should they go out? Is there such a thing as the one? Is it biblical to ask a father's permission before marriage? How can you prepare for marriage? What's acceptable before marriage? All these things, I want to deal with them, perhaps, God willing, in the near future. But yet this morning, looking at singleness. As a church, let us pray for those that are single. 
Many challenges. Let us pray that they're faithful in those challenges. That it will be holiness, not wickedness. That it will be submission, not rebellion. And that it will be living for the Lord and not living for self. We praise God for the many singles God has given us. And let's pray that God would give them help and give them grace to be all that he wants them to be now and in the days to come. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy precious word. And while it has been sown in the weakness of man, I pray, Lord, that today that you would be pleased to take it. Lord, let it come as a comfort to those that are single, that Christ himself was the one who was perfectly single. He was tempted in all points, like as men are today and women are today and young people are today, but yet he was without sin. By the grace of the Spirit of God, and Father, that the Spirit of God can give help even to those that are single today. Or whether they've not yet married or whether they have been and yet are now divorced or a widow or a widower. Show them, Lord, that Christ has promised that his grace is sufficient for them. That Christ can draw them afresh to him and draw them so nigh and so close to him that they'll ever see each day that in the midst of the pain and suffering that they go through that Christ is their joy Christ is their contentment, and Christ is their delight. Lord, that one day then they will see Christ face to face and be married to him for all eternity. Oh, Father, comfort, we pray. But give us all a challenge. Lord, we will not neglect prayer and the means of grace, but Lord, that we'll pray for brothers and sisters in the Lord, that they would know the help of God, they would know the clear direction of God, they would know the using of God, and that they would know the help of God. Oh, Father, make us be those that pray. Make us be those that encourage. Make us be those that strengthen. In Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen.